Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Bedfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BedfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, 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 I'm Steve Whiten from Kicks, and you are rocking out with Cobras and Fire. Rock is not dead. You are listening to the Cobras and Fire podcast part of the Decibel Geek Podcast Network, featuring special guest from Kicks, lead singer Steve Whiteman. Just a couple of bros blowing fuses. to welcome to the program uh, the singer from Kicks, Steve Whiteman. Steve, welcome to Cobras on Fire. Very good. Thanks for not calling me Whitman because most people do. You know, I almost, no joke, I decided to not do this. Uh, some friends of mine and I, we've always talked about the mispronunciations uh, people will, that are meeting us for the first time will make yeah. in our names. My last name is Bakken. People will say Bacon or Bakken. And his, <laughs> you know, but I was, I was actually going to ask you, I, I can't imagine people mispronounce Steve Whiteman all the time yeah, because it's <laughs> Steve Whiteman. It's so easy. W-H-I-T-E-M-A-N. But I get Whitmore, Whitman. I get some crazy stuff. And, uh, yeah, but, so thank you for getting it right. Well, not a problem, but uh, I guess I'm not surprised. Well, yeah, this is my first time getting a chance to talk to you, and I, I, I got a one thing um, I wanted to always kind of was curious about with Kicks is that the first two records, Kicks and Cool Kids, they have a, a sound that I would a, akin more to like a, a vibe of the knack, whereas Midnight Dynamite, you kind of you know get that kind of sunset you know strip '80s metal vibe going there. Was that intentional? Do you do you know what I'm talking about at all? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I don't know about the, the the comparison to the Knack. I mean, that that that's kind of a big compliment because I really like them. Okay. But our our first album was written in the bars at Soundchecks. I mean, every everything that we uh, we put on that record, we had already played in front of people. So it was um, it was it was pretty easy for us to make that record, and we were we were very proud of it. And we were coming off of influences like. Led Zeppelin and the Stones and ACDC, so so bands bands like that influenced it. The the second record was pretty much pushed on us by the record label and management and the producers. So 
that record to, to me is, is our least favorite record because all we did was fight about the material that we were going to put on there and how it sounded and how we recorded it. So that's one of our least favorite records. And then when it came time for Midnight Dynamite, we were lucky enough to have Bo Hill, who just come off the success of Rat, who was a, a, a hard rock and roll producer, which mm-hmm. is, we were a hard rock and roll band. He found the nuance of what we were about and chose the material that we should do. And, and that's why that record sounds great to this day. Right on. Um, yeah, it definitely was a big change, but, uh, I, I, another thing that I've heard over the years, almost in like mythology, maybe there's something to it or not, but I, I, I got to believe that you could clear it up. I've heard stories about Poison basically ripping off their entire, you know, your entire show and making it their own. Is there anything to that? <laughs> yeah, there's something to that. Um, <laughs> they they used to open for us. They were for, they're a little little nothing band from Pennsylvania that that. Uh, our, our then regional manager used to hire them to open for us once in a while. They were called, what the hell are they called? They weren't Poison then. In fact, I think they even got their name from a song on our first album. Yeah, po- you have a song called Poison. Yeah, they were called Paris. And they were just this young bunch of, of good-looking guys that were talentless, but, <laughs> but knew how to entertain a crowd and knew how to get over. And they must have studied us. I mean, that, that they took... Everything that we did, we always had these little gags and 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 uh, things that we did together. That that when we went out to at Los Angeles, we actually got some help from them. When we uh, recorded Midnight Dynamite, and once again, nothing happened from the label. We called those guys because they were out there and they were starting to do pretty well. And we said, "Can you hook us up with some promoters? We want to we want to um, get some shows out there." And and they did. They they hooked us up. And they invited us to come out and watch one of their shows. And we just all looked at each other in just shock that everything that we did on, on stage, <laughs> these guys just repeated everything that we do. And so, uh. I, I, and I think now they would admit it, but you know, then it's just what they knew they wanted to get over. So they, they took from somebody who they watched get over, they respected us. They loved us as a band. Okay. So they just took from us as, as what they felt they needed to do to get them over. So, you know, all forgiven, um, God bless them. They did way better than we did. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, I mean, say what you want. You can't really, uh, you can't argue at least Brett Michaels uh, hustle. Uh, he, he, he has kept at it. Oh, he, yeah, he, he's amazing. And the fact that he went through all those reality shows and kept himself you know, in the spotlight and was able to keep his solo career going, and then the poison thing props back up. And, hey, more power to him. I know how hard it is to do it. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been approached to do a reality show? Hell no. Yeah. Um, you know, Donnie Purnell was the main songwriter on pretty what? much yeah, my, most of your records. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was was he just more gifted at it? Was it uh, you know something that that the band kind of encouraged? Donnie started the band. It was Donnie's band, and the reason that I joined the band was he come up and recruited me out of a small town up in West Virginia and played me three or four originals that he had written with his plan. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put a band around original music and we're going to get a record deal and we're, we're going to make it to the top. So he sold me on that. And I joined the band and little did I know that writing was, was 
kind of not what he wanted. He, he did not really want anybody else to be a songwriter in the band. So he would entertain it and act like it was okay. And he would, he would help here and there. But for the most part, he thrived on being the, the songwriter and he was quite good at it. I mean, not, not saying that, uh, that what he did, you know, was, it mm-hmm. was great, but he really didn't invite contribution on his stuff or if anything just didn't live up to his standard, it didn't have a chance. You know, I'm curious, you guys are kind of uh, initially uh, located like around the Maryland, Virginia kind of area, West Virginia, that that pocket. Uh, How did you end up getting signed by Atlantic? Did you have to kind of spend some time in California? Did was there a scene, uh, a way to make it on the East Coast, too? No, it was it was just uh, word, uh, just word of mouth spread about this this little band that was drawing all these incredible numbers of people to to shows and we at that point we we were playing in the dc baltimore area hagerstown west virginia and Mm -hmm. we were we were getting sellout crowds everywhere we were going and we were also starting to shop some some uh original demos and we we got turned down by every record label in in the in the world on our on our studio demos so we decided to do a board tape our sound man was incredible our live show was what sold the band so we made this board tape, duplicated it, and sent it to all the record labels and Atlantic Records bit. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they, they sent an A&R guy down to a club in D.C., and the next week we were up doing a showcase for all the, all the suits up in New York. And then it was just, from there it was just a, a steady rise up, right? <laughs> well, no, it, it, was, it was a plunge. I mean, yeah. it, we felt like, yay, Atlantic Records, we're on a where Atlantic Records were managed by Bud Prager, who managed Farner. We thought, what can go wrong here? <laughs> and Atlantic just didn't quite know what to do with us. So it, it took it took four records for them to figure it out. And then in the meantime, our following was big enough to keep us alive and, and them re-upping uh, records. So you know, it, it took to the fourth album to actually break through. So at that point, we've amassed such a debt, we can never make any money. I gotcha. Now, it... it it's funny you mentioned that because there was like, you know, for Midnight Dynamite, this like little, little small, I don't know how much you guys would even pay attention to these things, but it was like a small corner ad for that record in, in every hit parader for like two years, it seemed like. A little black and white that. corner ad. We paid for that. that. That was our ad. We paid for that every month. Wow. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it just seemed an odd way to kind of push you guys out there. I mean, did, did the record label just not... Well, elaborate a little bit because they really didn't push you heavy until you had a hit with Blow My Fuse. I found out right. about you through a friend and just, you know, I knew the, the band's name and stuff because of those ads. But, you know, I wasn't hearing it until a buddy of mine played it for me. And I was like, why isn't this a little bit bigger, you know? We couldn't get airplay to save our ass in Atlantic. Atlantic really didn't do anything. I mean, we would uh, we, we would put singles out. Even on uh, Midnight Dynamite, we, we released... We released Cold Shower as the main single, and, mm-hmm. you know, they put out the video, and it just it didn't take off. So as soon as it doesn't take off, they're done with you. They're a huge company. They have 40, 50 bands right. coming out every other month. So if, if it doesn't stick right away, they move on. And um, so we, we took it upon ourselves after Midnight Dynamite. We thought, we got a great record here. We've got to go out. And, and prove to people we can't just stay in our little comfort zone in our, in our pocket, our hometown, and expect to do anything. So we started taking our 
our bar money from the East Coast. We, we could play from Boston to Florida, and we could make great money, but we couldn't go West at all. So we started – we decided let's start going out to Cincinnati, to Ohio, to Detroit, to Chicago. Let's get down to Kentucky. Let's go to Texas. So we would go out and do our own tours, pay for them ourselves, go back home rebank the bankroll then go back out to like California and San Francisco and uh, all, all the West Coast places. And, and Atlantic, finally, we got their attention that we put so much of our own money, so much of our own energy and self into promoting this record that the record almost went gold just by our efforts. So they were ready for Blow My Fuse. Okay. And they were, they were ready to back it it's just because they appreciated and they understood our tenacity. Does that sort of explain the 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 big gap of t- time between the two records? Because especially in those days, three years was, was a long delay between albums. Yeah, because it took us it took us three years of constant touring to to build up enough interest that um, that we felt yeah. could make a difference. And even even on Blow My Fuse, if it wasn't because all the, all the obvious pockets pop up when you release a record, you know the Baltimore, the DC, the New York. Florida, all the East Coast places always bought our records. But for some reason, Kansas City popped on Blow My Fuse. Our, our first single was Cold mm-hmm. Blood, and they loved it. And then MTV jumped on it, and then everything blew up. I remember you were on Headbangers Ball or something like that shortly after the record came out. And you made, uh, I mean, you were being serious, but you kind of were jokingly talking about you, you just got the report that 51 people in Idaho had bought the record or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's, the kind, that's the kind of reports you would get. And, you know, that, that's when we knew that it was, it, it was finally happening. We, we felt the surge. We felt the push. We went from, from our, our little our little van into a tour bus. We went from clubs into arenas and opening for, for major bands. So we, we knew that something very special was happening. And no ring around Rosie was on a soundtrack before blow my fuse too. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on their movie. I suppose. Do you remember, uh, uh, Johnny be good. Was it Johnny be good? I think it was Johnny be good. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was really pumped for the record after hearing that because that I, I thought that song really took Midnight Dynamite and kind of just shot to the next level and, and the album didn't disappoint. So, so Blow My Fuse comes out and Cold Blood being the first single, but did it really take off bef- uh, a lot right away or did it was it with the ballad that really kicked it into overdrive? It actually took off pretty good by itself. Um, like I say, Atlantic finally pushed their magic button, yeah. and Cold, Cold Blood did did very well. I think it was a top 40 single and it was on the MTV 
top 10 for like four months. I mean, I, I think they got so sick of it, they changed the rules and, <laughs> and, and put a limit on how long a, a song can play on there. And then Blow My Fuse came out and did equally well, did great. It, it took the, the, the album t- to gold. But when Don't Close Your Eyes came out, which would never have even been released, Atlantic was probably done at that point. They mm-hmm. probably thought, okay, they've gone gold, they've done, this is all they're going to do. We were out on the road with Tesla and Great White, and Alan Niven, who was managing Great White at the time, who also managed Guns N' Roses, called Doug Morris at Atlantic Records and said, I just saw these guys, and they played this ballad, and if you don't release this as a single, you're out of your mind, and it was Don't Close Your Eyes. So the next week, they were recording a video for Don't Close Your Eyes, and that's what, that's what took it to platinum. Yeah, that's what, that's what got the girls in my school to know who you were. Yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and you know what? What pisses us off is that we're a hard rock and roll band, Hell yeah. and everybody knows us for a ballad. And well, that's, you that's know, the only plenty, downside. Of, plenty of bands have had to to deal with that. Uh, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying because it really isn't indicative of your overall sound, but it's it's a song, you know. It's a great song. I mean, it's, it's a it's a phenomenal song, but it's not what it's not the anything we want to be known for. So. Luckily now, going out and touring now and playing in front of these these people, people are starting to get what we're all about. They they love hearing "Don't Close Your Eyes" and 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 the songs that they recognize. But we're also getting fans saying, "That's good stuff." I didn't know that that was even available, and now they're buying uh, the the older records. Mm-hmm. So what, what we're doing now is just so cool and so exciting, and 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 we're loving life because we're in our we're in our late fifties and sixties, and we're out doing better than we've ever done before. You know, yeah, real just random question about that cold blood video. How is Donnie a lot older than you guys? Because he looks ancient in that video. He's a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's he's four times your age then. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, so things kind of wind down then. You, you got show business, and then um, well, hot wire before that. But was the writing on the wall then with show business? I mean, things had changed a lot. Was was everybody getting ready to kind of say this is this is it before you do oh, funny sure. money? It, it was even on Hotwire. We, we we felt the change on Hotwire, even though we felt we made a really good strong record. Yeah. The music the music business, radio, airplay, everything was changing. MTV was changing. Everything in the business had just done a flip. And I remember our our A and R guy coming in and and showing us um, the next thing. It's probably Stone Temple Pilot or one of those yeah. bands and. Which is a great band, but you know this is what you're up against. It's like, well, we sound nothing like that, and we never will. And so, we, yeah, we, the writing was on the wall. Um, our, 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 we knew Atlantic. We were done with Atlantic at that point. So we made a deal with them to get off of that label by giving them a live record that we recorded at the University of Maryland. Mm-hmm. And that actually worked pretty damn well. We're still real proud of that one, and it got us – to a, a new label, a smaller label called CMC that we recorded uh, yep. show business on. And then at, at, at that point, we knew it was it was dead. We yeah. knew. CMC was kind of a savior for a lot of bands from that era. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, one kind of last overview question of that time. Uh, looking back, I'd, it seems like you guys at least were able to, from a fan's view, I'm saying, I, it, it never really seemed like you ever were doing things that you weren't comfortable with. You know, for a band that didn't exactly, you know, shoot into the stratosphere sales-wise, it didn't seem like you had a lot of pressure from the outside to do things you didn't want to do. Is that fair? 
other than the second record, I would say that's fair. We, we were totally coerced on the second album. We did not want to do other people's music. We, we had written music that we felt was stronger than the stuff that we recorded. We were uh, pushed by our manager. We were pushed by our A&R guy and our, and our producer to make that record. It wasn't what we felt was our best effort. But they, you know, they're saying, look, you want to make another record? You want to get on the radio? You want to make it in this business? This is what you got to do. And so other than that record, I would say, yeah, but we pretty much were able to stick to our guns. And a lot of that had to do with Donnie Purnell. Donnie's a very strong willed. Uh, he's the kind of guy that gets what he wants. That's just that's the way he is. And and ruled this band with an iron fist. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Funny Money was your next thing. Let me ask you, is Funny Money, do you do anything with Funny Money anymore? Is it still active in any any, any sense? No, no. I, you know, I, I put it down about three years ago because we were playing playing a lot of area gigs, which Kick still plays in the area. And Funny Money was half Kick, kick songs and half stuff that I'd written after Kicks. And I felt that the promoters were using Funny Money as a, as a tool to not hire kicks. So I thought in fairness to the other guys and even to myself that this isn't fair and I should maybe put funny money down for a while. So these offers have to come to kicks solely. Okay. That makes sense. Um, you kind of, as when kicks got back together, I don't know, it was, if I remember correctly and, and f- feel free to correct me. Um, but it was like the early two thousands, you were doing a handful of shows, you know, on the East Coast primarily for a couple years. Is that, that yeah. right? When did yeah. when when did you guys when would you say you were you were fully back? We we started doing shows again in like 2004, 2005. And again, we started in our comfort zone because we we started getting offers from people that was just ridiculous money that were like, What? Would you want to give us how much? <laughs> and and okay, we'll do that. And so we would we would do like six, eight shows a year in the area. And out of the blue, I got a call from this agent, Sullivan Big, who was starting this this new company that was really uh, just entertaining what they call the hair metal. And you know, I hate that term, but that that's the kind of bands that he grew up with and felt like there was there was a void in, in these bands getting booked. So he calls me this one day and says, Give me an opportunity to book this band. I I, I promise you, I, I can get you bookings all over the country. And I thought he was nuts. And mm. I, you know, I, I politely turned him down and said, you know, I'm pretty happy doing what I'm doing. I don't want to get out on the road and do that anymore. And he calls the next day and throws the same pitch and you know promises me this and that. And once again, politely turned him down. Third day in a row, he called me and just caught my interest and said, I, I can book you guys. Just give me a chance. And I said, okay, go for it. And I just laughed it off thinking, this guy doesn't get it. it kicks is done. And about a week later, he called me and says, I got Rocklahoma, which is a, 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 yep. a, it's a huge concert, probably in front of 20,000, 30,000 people. And I said, okay. And so we did Rocklahoma. And Rocklahoma was a huge eye-opener for me and the band and – and I, you know, I gave him my blessing, and I said, "You go, boy." <laughs> uh, and so, you, 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 I mean, how many shows a year do you guys do? You know, currently on average, probably between forty and fifty a year. Okay, well, that's not terrible. Which, which, which is comfortable, yeah. And and it's usually most of them are fly dates and local dates that we can drive to. So it's you know, it's it's nothing grueling about it anymore. Not like hopping in a van for for months on end and and no sleep and that those days are over. 
So it's, it's, it's quite easy to do. It's quite comfortable. It's most enjoyable. And everybody in the band gets along great and loves doing what we're doing. So it's, it's, it's such a pleasure at this point. I saw you a couple summers ago here in uh, Minnesota at an event called Grand Rock Timber. You guys were great. Uh-huh. I remember that. Yeah. I was right up front. I got a picture of you. <laughs> I thought you looked familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to ask a question that I guarantee, I, at least I'm going to go out on a limb and uh, think I'm not the first person to ask it. Uh, with the reunion, why no Donnie? Um, you know what? Donnie is a very bitter person. And um, the only reason that we're doing these these shows and the only reason that ever even got back together was because Funny Money would go out and play. And I had Mark on bass. I had Jimmy on drums. I, I finally got him out of retirement and crewed him. And then once in a while, Ronnie's band, Ronnie 1010's band, Blues Vulture, would come out and play with us. And we would get Ronnie up on stage and okay. do a little a, a mini kick set. So that's where it really evolved from. And then this promoter gets the big idea. Let's fly Brian in and let's, you know, let's put the whole band together, see what happens. And it, it, it exploded locally. So that that's what triggered it. So there was no need to bring in the headache, the, the, the iron fist, the guy that's going to rule everything and control everything. And we thought, you know, it's this is so fun. This is so nice not having to deal with all that stuff that we should leave it alone. So and that's it, what we did. It was never even discussed with him. No, All right. no. I, and, and I think, and it's not just me. I think it was it was a consensus of everybody in the band that they never want to deal with that again. Do you have any idea what Donnie is doing? He's kind of falling off the radar. Yeah, I have no clue. Okay. I really don't. And I, I hope he's doing well because uh, I have great respect for him and everything that. He pulled me out of a little town in West Virginia and took me to the top of my game, and, and we all feel like that. But he was not an easy person to work with. So he's not missed working with, but he's missed as a friend. Okay, that's fair. Well, let's talk about Fuse 30, the celebration of your 1988 platinum album, Blow My Fuse. How's that for an introduction? I like um, that. It's a complete remix and remaster. Um, uh, now, the album was originally produced by Tom Werman, but Bo Hill, your producer on Midnight Dynamite, is who you, who you brought in to um, do the whole remixing of the record. How did that come to, to be that he was the guy? I've got to give Mark Shanker, our bass player, a lot of credit on this whole idea because he came up with the whole concept. It was either let's make a new record or let's 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 re blow blow my fuse, <laughs> and and we thought that's a great idea, and and he sold us on the idea of of remastering remixing. Him and Bo got very tight. I'm an old friend with Bo Hill just from making Midnight Dynamite, and I introduced Mark to Bo, who who was at the time trying to put together some Pro Tools gear so he could do some some work on on some records. And Mark, being great at Pro Tools, introduced Bo and actually went to his house and set it up for him. So that created the relationship. Um, when it came time for this whole idea. There was no better choice than Bo Hill. I, I think of all of our albums, Blow My Fuse by, or I mean Midnight Dynamite by far is the best sounding record we've ever had. Okay. So when when we approached Bo with it, he jumped on it. He thought, this is great. I would love to do that because I think he was expecting to do Blow My Fuse. And unfortunately, that didn't work out because of a Donnie and Bo Hill feud at the end of Midnight Dynamite. <laughs> which, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So Bo, Bo jumped on it. And 
And the things that I've heard, I, I've heard some of the, I haven't heard everything, but I've, I've heard some of the mixing that he's done. And it's, it's incredible what he, what he took. You haven't heard the whole record yet? I haven't heard the whole record yet. But I, we I have. Heard, it sounds amazing. I, I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> but, but what I heard. How did I hear it so before cool. you? <laughs> I don't, because these guys look at me and go, he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, he'll sorry. His own time. Yeah, no, he'll listen to it in his own time. So, but what, what's very cool is there was a lot of things on, on, on the mix of Blow My Fuse that drove us all crazy. And we, and we told Bo, and he, he, he heard it immediately. He said, oh, don't worry about that. That ain't going to happen. So everything that we've heard that Bo's mix has just been incredible. And we've also – we're releasing the demos. These are the things that we slaved over for a year in this little studio called Guido's in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. We would spend 8, 10 hours, 12 hours a day in this little studio putting these songs together. And this is what people are going to hear before they hear the remix and and I think some people might go. On some cases, the the demos may beat the album because that's how hard we worked on these demos. Yeah, I mean, it has the years that you were they were recorded and and they start in '85 and go through '87. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, Steve, you're going to love it. It sounds amazing. Honestly, it, 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 I really, I like when, um, bands kind of go back and do this kind of thing. It's fun for, for the diehard fan, uh, because it's, you you know, you can still go out and get the original version if you want, but now you have this other version to kind of compare it to. And if, if you are kind of someone who digs into it, I, I definitely recommend going out and getting this. Well, the thing is, the technology these days is so much better than what it was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. That that you know what you can do with a with a great sounding record nowadays blows away what you could do. And we were still living in that big reverb, too much echo era, you know. So I think a lot of that is on the old version, where on on the on the reblown version, you're not going to hear all these stupid echoes and overblown reverbs and muddiness. It's all going to be crystal clear, and it's, it's going to sound great. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, anybody listening, it does sound great. And it comes out September 21st. Now, you put this together through Pledge Music. How was that experience? What's Pledge Music? (laughs) (laughs) It's where you kind of crowdfund the album uh, to get uh, the the thing out there. So you didn't have a lot to do with uh, setting that up, I take it? No, I had nothing to do with it. Like I said, Mark, Mark Shanker pioneered this whole concept, and then Loud and Proud Records came in and and jumped on the bandwagon and and lent their hand in it. So I can take no credit whatsoever for it. But <laughs> well, you did sing on it. No, it was thirty years I, I ago. Did, I did sing on it, and we we are doing the entire album live right now. So that that's kind of cool. Along with that, you got any other special uh, celebration kind of things uh, around the record you got coming up? I'm sure there are things that I don't know what they are. Uh, <laughs> yeah, is Mark there? <laughs> <laughs> you might want to call Mark. <laughs> uh, uh, this is a lot of fun. Um, well, I, I'm not going to bother hitting you up with. Uh, oh, I did. How are things with Ronnie? I know he gave us a bit of a scare a while back. Uh, it, you know, he kind of disappeared there a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we're we're still concerned, but you know, we're are, we're optimistic that he's that he's turning the corner and he's and he's gonna he's gonna get his stuff together. R- right now, it's we're we're still you know just hoping and praying for him. Um, he he's he's you know he's showing up to every show. He he's doing a great job at every show. But when we have these laws like we've been off for the past three weeks, it, it, it worries me that, of what he's doing. But um, 
I, I, I can't give you a definitive answer there. All I know is that, that he, as far as we know, he's doing well. Okay. And, and you know, he, he's showing up and, and he's still here. Well, I know a lot of people are rooting for him, but uh, I was just looking we for an update. Are. We yeah, all are. So not, nothing, uh, nothing negative there. Um, you know, hey, do you talk to Brad Divins at all in, anymore? I see Brad once in a while. Yeah, Brad still lives in Hagerstown, even though he's all over the world running sound for uh, the Iglesias guy. But, yeah, I still run into him. He, um, he, he was only on the one album, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he that, went on that, to do uh, Wrathchild America, a very exactly. different project. Yeah, very heavy, much heavier than kicks. But th- that was uh, that was when Ronnie had problems. Was in rehab, and we had to bring somebody in to record the record. So we, rather than go out and get some big name, we found some local guy who we thought could really pull it off and, and do it well. And Brad was perfect for it. When was the last time somebody asked you about Brad Divins? <laughs> no, not too long ago, actually. Oh, damn it! Uh... Sorry, sorry, to bust your bubble there. Well, you know, just got to deal with it and roll. Steve, I've had a blast. Um, it was a pleasure speaking with you. The album, uh, the the Fuse Thirty, the the uh, the the remix remaster of of the Blow My Fuse record comes out September twenty first. Everybody should go out and get it. Yeah, you heard it from me. Um, anything else you got to plug here? Reblown. Who doesn't like to get blown?
I'm Steve Whiten from Kicks, and you are rocking out with Cobras and Fire, and I forget the rest of it. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 